0: Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. Today, I wanna do something a little different and answer some questions that we've gotten from our community recently. And if you're not an Evlo member, of course, I'll make sure that you get value out of this too. So keep listening, whether you're a member or not. So question number one, I've been getting this one a lot lately. What time of day is the best time to work out? Doesn't matter what time of day you work out. In short, it does not matter. Studies show that hypertrophy is similar regardless of the time of day the training session took place. There could be some marginal differences and it likely depends on the individual and their own circadian rhythms. For example, some people might feel really energized at 7 p.m. and maybe that's the best time for them to work out. Some people might feel more energized at 10 a.m. and that might be the best time for them to work out. But What's really the most important is that you're consistent. And if you are trying to match your energy levels to what time of day you work out, it just might not be super feasible or realistic for your schedule. And because studies aren't showing a huge difference in results, no matter really what time of day someone works out, just do what you can stay consistent with. So as long as you are consistently training, you're getting close to failure, you're eating properly, you're sleeping well, you're recovering, It's really not going to matter what time of day you work out. So hopefully that gives you all some relief in that you can really do it anytime. Question number two, I can feel my glutes better in a bridge or a hip thrust than something like a lunge. Should I do those instead of lunges? And can I see the same results by substituting a hip thrust or a bridge? So several things to discuss here. Number one is the difference between late and early phase loaded exercises. Number two, I wanna talk briefly about some research around glute gains in hip thrusts versus like a hip hinge, like a lunge. I wanna talk about reps and load. And then I also wanna talk about that burn sensation and how important that burn sensation actually is for results. So a big difference between a hip thrust and something like a lunge is how they load the glutes. In a hip thrust or a bridge, The exercise is late phase loaded, meaning the hardest part of the movement is when the muscle is fully shortened. You might feel like the hardest part is at the very top. A lunge or a hip hinge movement is the opposite. It's early phase loaded. So the load is the greatest when the muscle is stretched, when your hip is fully flexed. You might notice that the hardest part of the movement is at the very bottom when you're going to stand up. That's a early phase loaded exercise. Should you prioritize loading a muscle in its more stretched position? Research is showing yes, it is more beneficial to focus on early phase loaded exercises like a lunge or sideline raise. These are the exercises that we tend to choose in Evlo for almost every muscle group. You'll see us doing bicep curls and crunches for the abs or ball crunches for the abs and chest presses. All of these are early phase loaded exercises. They're loading the muscle when the muscle is in a more stretched position. However, this might not be as important for the glutes. And I will report back if something changes on this, because in some literature, very limited literature, let me add, and the literature is mostly in people who are newer to training. So I'm not sure how much weight we should place on this, but There seems to be similar gains found in hip thrusts and hip hinge movements. So in participants who only did a hip thrust and someone who only did a hip hinge movement, there seem to be similar gains. So in short, you might be able to substitute them. And again, I'm unsure how reliable this would be in someone who is more trained. So take that with a grain of salt. Another issue with hip thrusts and bridges is that you might not be able to load them at home with enough resistance. So if you're holding more than like a 30-pound dumbbell across your hips in a hip thrust, it's just not very comfortable. It's not very feasible to hold something much heavier than that or over your hips. Unless you're at the gym and you can use like a barbell with weights on either side, it's probably going to be a little more comfortable. So, and then also if you are doing a double leg hip thrust with 30 pounds that's probably not going to be enough resistance for you to actually see muscle growth because you could probably go all day doing that exercise. If you feel like you could go forever and ever and do way more than 30 reps, no exercise is really going to be very effective for muscle growth even if you have that increased sensation and it burns more. You can do a single leg hip thrust with, let's say, a 30-pound weight on your hip and the other leg lifted, and this is going to load the glute more and may provide enough resistance, you might feel like you get close to failure and under those 30 reps. But it just might not be the most comfortable option for your SI joint and your low back because as soon as you lift one leg, This is a physics thing. This isn't like because you're weak or anything like that. As soon as you lift one leg, the pelvis has to drop slightly to accommodate that change in center of gravity, which might not be super comfortable for your SI and low back because now you have that tilted pelvis and you're having force kind of going straight down through a tilted pelvis. But I did figure out a way to do this, do a single leg hip thrust in a way that's going to be really effective for muscle growth and it'll feel really good and stable on your SI joint and on your low back. So it's a single leg hip thrust variation. You've got one weight on your hip and you have the opposite hand against a wall. And the opposite hand helps you to kind of lean into the wall to keep the pelvis more neutral and level while allowing you to really bias that glute and increase the load to the glute. Because of the single leg variation, when I did this last week in class, I got close to failure so much quicker. And that hand on the wall just provides so much great stability, makes your nervous system feel really safe. So that's a great option to keep in your back pocket. And if you're unsure what I'm talking about, Evo members, be sure to take the or try the variation that I did in lower body build this week. That's, um, I realize it's going to come out weeks after I'm recording this, but October 17th, we did that single leg hip thrust in lower body build. Again, this exercise might not work for every person, but it might be a good one for some of you. And then finally, in regards to hip thrusts and the glute discussion, I wanna discuss the burn. And if you need that burning sensation to see muscle growth. Technically, you don't need a burning sensation in a muscle group in order to see a muscle growth. That burn generally comes from higher rep training and often comes with late phase loaded exercises like a hip thrust or a glute bridge. So just because you have greater sensation with an exercise doesn't necessarily mean it's more effective. That burn sensation can be correlated with muscle growth and there's nothing wrong with it, but the most important thing that we need to have for muscle growth is mechanical load. So even if something feels quote unquote hard and it burns and you feel like you can connect to it more, if you aren't approaching failure and you aren't seeing a decrease in velocity in 30 reps or less, then no amount of burn is going to amount to significant change in the muscle. So that was a lot about glutes and hip thrusts versus lunges. So in short, can you substitute a hip thrust or a glute bridge for a lunge? I wanna say a hip thrust might be more effective than a glute bridge because of the range of motion that you have and because you might be able to load it a little differently, um, but it might not be as effective as something like a lunge. So can you substitute it? Maybe, maybe not. My recommendation would be to do both, to do both hip thrusts variations and lunge variations for the best results. Okay, question number three. How can I apply some of these principles that we talk about on the podcast to any group fitness class? And one of the things that I think is important for muscle growth that might fall short in a group fitness class is that you're following an instructor. So it's really difficult to get close to failure for your body because you're trying to follow along with the class. And what happens oftentimes with the class is that you might feel, you might take a break in the middle of an exercise so that you can save up, so that you can keep going with the class. Like you might take a little break, shake it off, and then go again so that you can get to the end of the set and and follow along with the rest of the class. But the problem is that as soon as you feel yourself wanting to rest, that's when those larger muscle fibers are about to kick on. And when those larger muscle fibers kick on, that's the most beneficial beneficial part of the movement. So if you pause for a few seconds, the smaller muscle fibers can recover and you can just use those smaller muscle fibers again for the rest of the set and continue on and never really get to those larger muscle fibers. Versus when you keep going throughout the set without a break, the smaller muscle fibers eventually fatigue. They can't complete the movement at a certain point, And so the larger muscle fibers have to kick on. So by taking a break in the middle of an exercise, you might just be recycling your smaller muscle fibers and not getting really the most benefit. So you know you're actually close to failure, in an exercise when if you were to take a break for a couple of seconds, you couldn't really go back into that exercise. You'd pick up the weight and you'd be like, nope, that's not happening. That's how you know you were actually close to failure. If you feel like you could pause for a few seconds, shake it out, and then resume the exercise pretty easily, you probably were using your smaller muscle fibers. You were never really getting into those larger muscle fibers, and you weren't actually getting close to muscular failure. Because getting close to muscle failure means that you recruit those larger muscle fibers, which take longer than a few seconds to recover. They take more like a few minutes. So what I would recommend instead, if you're taking a group fitness class, and this goes for envelope classes, this goes for really any group fitness class that you want to make really effective, is that when you feel yourself wanting to break and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I know that we have 45 seconds or a minute left of this exercise or whatever it might be. And I'm not gonna be able to go withstand the my muscle recruitment for this full minute. I need to take a break. What I would do is I would keep going Get close to failure and then just be done with, with the set and finish early. And I think that you know it's hard because you, you might be like, okay, what am I going to do? Just stand there in a group fitness class. And it's like, well, that's one of the issues of group fitness classes is that it's difficult for you to get close to failure. But I would say, yeah, just stand there or rest or do some mobility or breathe. I mean, that's what I would do if I were taking a group fitness class. If you are taking an Evlo class or really any class and you reach failure before the instructor, what do you do? So when I was taking Peyton's classes each week pre-pregnancy, I would teach four times a week and then I would take one of her classes. So I was following the five-time-a-week schedule. I would finish my sets earlier than she did in almost every set. And I was getting close to failure and I was seeing great results even though I was missing the last like 30 seconds of the exercise that she was doing. But I was approaching what my failure point was, and that would look different than what hers was. Yours is going to look different than mine when you're taking my classes. It might be longer. It might be shorter. So if you finish the set early, what I would do is I would just rest. I would do some mobility, some breath work, and taking some extra rest in between sets and just letting the video play can be extremely beneficial because – that extra rest in between exercises can increase performance in a subsequent set. So it's not a waste of time. It can actually be, It can actually improve the quality of your workout. Okay, question number four. Is This is for EVLA members specifically. Is the four time per week track equally as effective as the five time per week track or the three time per week track? So we have different tracks in Evelo. You can work out with us three, four, or five times per week. The three time per week track and the five time per week track have the same amount of volume, so they'll be equally as effective. The three time per week track are um, full body classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the five time per week track are just shorter classes, but divided up a little bit more. I personally prefer the shorter workouts more frequently because I feel like I'm less limited by fatigue. I feel like my workouts are higher quality when they're a bit shorter. So that's why I like the five time per week track, but We have lots of people who love the three-time-per-week track. Um, Maybe they're a runner or maybe they just prefer to stack um, the workouts into longer workouts. The four-time-per-week track will have slightly less volume. So it's the same as the five-time-per-week track, except we take out Thursday's class. Thursday's class is always extra volume. We're always working a set of muscle groups for the second time on Thursday. So it's slightly less volume. So you might see slightly slower progress, but some people don't. Some people see great progress from the four time per week track because it gives them enough recovery so that they can have higher quality workouts um, each on on those four days instead of doing the five days. And maybe by the end of those five days, the recovery has tanked and they're just not seeing as good of results because they can't get as high quality work. My husband did the four time per week track for the longest time. He saw great results. I know so so many Evelyn members do the four time per week track. They're seeing great results. It's really more important that you're going to adhere to a schedule. You will not see good results if you're super ambitious and you're like, I'm gonna do the five time per week track but you can't stick to it and you end up doing two and then nothing at all because it's just not fitting into your schedule and you get overwhelmed. So if four time per week is what you're going to stick to, you can absolutely see results from doing the four time per week track. Question number five. This is a short one, but pretty interesting. Should you be doing Kegels during core work? In short, no, I don't recommend doing Kegels during core work. What you want to do is breathe out through pursed lips, like you're breathing out through a straw, during the effort or during the exertion. When you're breathing out through those pursed lips, that will reflexively cause a contraction of your pelvic floor and your diaphragm and offer the proper amount of stability in your trunk. So you do not need to do a Kegel during core work. So if you're pregnant or even if you're not and you're just struggling with core work, what I would recommend doing if you're an EVLA member is go check out the second trimester pelvic floor considerations video. I know it's a mouthful. On the EVLA membership, it's under the second trimester resources in the prenatal program. That is with Dr. Amelia. She's a women's health physical therapist and she talks about coning and doming. She talks about Kegels and she actually talks about how she doesn't recommend doing Kegels during pregnancy at all. So I think, again, even if you're not pregnant, Um, If you are, you definitely want to listen to that. But even if you're not pregnant, listening to that uh, can be really informative about pelvic floor stuff and Kegel's works and all, all of that. Question number six, is standing ab work effective? I see all over social media, people doing marches, swinging weights around their bodies, doing wood chops with weights, saying that these exercises are more effective for crunches and should be substituted for crunches. This is just not true because for muscle growth, Unless you're using a cable, which will provide a different line of resistance, standing ab work is not very effective for muscle growth because the direction of resistance matters when you're loading a muscle. The abdominals run longitudinally up and down the front of the trunk. So to load those muscles, you need a direction of resistance that applies the opposite line of direction. So you need a direction of resistance that's horizontal, something like a crunch, If you're standing and holding weights, the direction of resistance is straight up and down, right? It's vertical, it's not horizontal. So there's zero to no load to the abdominals. Now, the abdominals may have to flex or brace to keep you stable, but flexing a muscle doesn't necessarily load it enough to stimulate growth. It has to be loaded to grow. So I do not believe that standing ab work is very effective. Not that it doesn't have any value at all, but if we're looking for muscle growth, we do wanna load the abdominals from more of a horizontal position when your torso or your trunk is more or less horizontal to gravity or to the floor. Okay, so that is it. Hopefully you got some value out of today's Q&A and we will see you all next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.